Thanks, Bob. Oh, sorry. Hey, family. How you doing? Wasn't that worship great? I like, remember, it was just like three minutes ago, we were singing these songs together, and I got this sense as I was listening that, that heaven is peering. They're leaning over the rails, watching you guys and listening. They're like, who's leading today? And they're like, you guys. And they're like, you know, chest bumping or high winging or whatever they do, just saying like, that was beautiful stuff. And only the family of God can do that. I can hum okay, and I sound great in the car and all that, but man, there's something that happens when we're all together. That's the body of Christ. It's all of us leaning in together and saying, what's next? How do we do this? So yes, I am a recovering lawyer. <laughs> I'm taking baby steps. You know, it's been 10 days and I haven't sued anyone. So... <laughs> And I know Jesus is nuts about kids and justice, and we'll talk about that, but he hates lawyers. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. Um, You know why. But like, Jesus is so nuts about all of us, and he's thinking about what is it? So I really get that sense that as we're living into what it is that God has for us, we find out a little bit more about him. Hey, if you've got a Bible, open to 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, which is like how God was nuts about us, but 1 John 3.16, and the ushers have some Bibles. If you want one, just raise your hand. It's all yours. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So 1 John 3.16, and read along. Actually, I'll just throw it up on the screen if you would. We'll read it together. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now listen up. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Do you guys get that? Not with just words and speech, but what we do. We don't do stuff so Jesus will think we're swell. He already thinks we're swell. Our picture is in his wallet. He's like, there's my Bobby. I know he's a lawyer, but that's my guy. Like, and he's thinking the same thing about Mark and Bill and Sally. He's like, you are my people. But I'm a lawyer and I get paid to say the right stuff. And that really head faked me for a long time because I was saying the right stuff but not doing the right stuff. You get what I mean? Again, God is about saying, what is it that we do with what we believe? If I met sweet Maria, this woman I've been married to for years, and I didn't like, I just found out about how to say like a brunette in the Greek, or if I found out about this little like village she grew up in called Los Angeles, and like, and I memorized all that stuff about her, but I didn't do this thing called a date. (laughs) There's names for guys like that. It's called bachelor, right? You go do something because you love them. You go like, ah, I just want to be with her. But I don't know about you guys, but here's my problem. I don't hear God's audible voice. And I lived with all these surfers and they did. Like they were telling me things he was saying to them. Some of them were like, pretty, really? And he, they would say like, so God, I said this. And then he said this. And then they said like, no way. And then God said, Yahweh. It was like this. <laughs> Whatever, dude. So, but I really felt left out. Like I'd be a, like handicapped. I should park in the blue spaces. Like I couldn't get what they got. And they got the audible version. And then I started realizing that not only do I have the inspired word of God, but something even cooler. I got you. 
Like the stuff that you say, you know when you're with somebody and it pings you, you go like, ah, right. That's right. Get your iPhones out. It's okay. Take a note or two and like remember that. Like, you know, where they used to in the Old Testament, God would show up and they'd stack rocks. Send yourself an email, something that just prompts you. Now, you guys have all your iPhones and you think those are cameras. This is a camera. <laughs> you guys remember these, right? It's called Polaroid, right? And the, uh, like the, uh, the films cost more than drugs. Here, smile. Like, right? That's like 20 bucks right there. But remember these things, and what's cool about them is they start out really milky. And because I couldn't hear God's audible voice, I knew I loved him like I knew I loved Maria, but it started out really milky. I'm like, so what do I do next? Like, what do I do with that? And I felt like faith is like, that. I got the love God part, but the like, what do I do next part always seemed like it was escaping me. But flip to that verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Can you throw it up on the screen? We'll read it together. For now we see a reflection is in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I'll know fully, just as I am known. It's like seeing through a mirror dimly. Doesn't it sound like that? Like it starts out really milky. And you just say, well, what do I do next? And you just, you don't, it isn't always spelled out. And I think God doesn't spell it out for us because he hasn't invited us on a business trip. He invited us on this adventure. So you don't get an itinerary. God just says, let's go do stuff and we'll find out more about who God made me to be and who God made you to be along the way. How about the opening scene in Acts? I love that there's a book called Acts, Not Opinions. It's like Acts, get it? Like so, like the opening scene, Theophilus, lover of God, look for many convincing proofs that Jesus is still alive. Isn't that great? Don't you get it? Like for a lawyer, that sounds like dusting for fingerprints. And if I dusted around here, I'd find Cole's fingerprints. And I go, aha, he's been here. And I don't see in a mystical way, I don't see Jesus that looks like clouds or John the Baptist in a topiary or something, but I see evidence of Jesus in you guys. He like, he folds us up and all these creases make us more evidence of him. And then the more folded up you are, you're thinking, I can't get used. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're like origami. Like the more folds, the better, right? Like, and God lets these things happen, even though they're milky at, a, at the beginning, and they start coming into focus a little bit more. You see how it's happening? Like it starts coming into focus just a little bit more, a little bit darker, a little bit more defined. Have you guys been to SeaWorld? Isn't it great? They have like, it costs like, what, 80 bucks or something to get in. I brought this little Ugandan kid, and that's like $20 a foot for him. He's eight years old. And so I went up to him, like, do you know there's this thing? It's called a shopper's pass. It's so cool. It's like you're doing a drug deal. You just whisper into the window, I want a shopper's pass. <laughs> and a shopper's pass works. That you get to go into SeaWorld for one hour for free. And they make it so you can go buy a rubber tuna or something, I guess. But like the whole idea is you go shop and they go, but you can see all of SeaWorld in an hour, but you can't be walking. So like there's a moving beltway in front of the, you know, the fake icicles at the penguin exhibit. But like, are this little Uganda dude and I walking? No, we're running. And then we like pet the starfish and saw the sharks and all that. 
I don't know when I'm going to die, when D-Day is going to happen, but I think I know when P-Day is going to happen, when everybody gets polite to me. You know that? Like, I got about 10 summers, and they'll give me the, you know, more comfortable chair and the laugh, and I'm not funny and all that. Like, and so I want to spend the time between now and then, like, running. Don't you? And it's not because God will think I'm swell. I just want to see more stuff. I want to see more about Jesus, a sometimes silent God, and I understand more about him the more I hang out with you and the more stuff I do. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that your experience? Isn't that where he starts coming into focus? God doesn't want you to be polite to him anymore. Stop it. He doesn't want you to be polite to him. He doesn't want you to, can you think of one time when Jesus got all the disciples together and he said, all right, guys, I just need you to agree with me. <laughs> but we're like really polite and agree with him. That's not a bad thing, but he's saying, it's a shopper's pass. Can you pull up in Matthew 21? There's a, a parable. Remember, gave, Jesus gave some airtime. He says, well, it's kind of like these two sons. What do you think? There's a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go out to and work today in the vineyard. And he said, no. But later he changed his mind and he came. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, oh, I will, sir. But he didn't. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first they answered. Like, he doesn't want us to agree with him. Oh, Lord, I'm talking to myself. You're just eavesdropping. He's tired of me being polite to him and just agreeing with him about stuff. He's saying, like, go do something. Like, let's go get into some mischief. And then while I say, well, what do you want to do? It's kind of murky to me. It's like, I don't know. What are you good at? What is it that I made you to love, Bob? What is it that I made you to love? Or you? Well, what if we go do that? And if you want to zero in, I mean, sorry, you can read the whole thing, and that's awesome. Let's just start with, like, kids and justice or the people I've paratrooped into your life or your neighbors or your whatever. Let's just go do stuff. And the more stuff you do, the more you're going to understand. But it's not going to be as murky. I know it'll be a little bit like through a mirror dimly until we're face to face, but it won't be for long. The thing that gets in my way is I get scared. And I also have too much going on in my life. Can you guys relate to that? Like I just have the pattern is full. I got work and chasing bad guys and doing all this stuff. And there is not any room for anything. So what I end up being is I end up agreeing with Jesus and being polite to him. And he's not bummed. He's like, ah. Oh. He's just like, oh, you could know so much more about me if we just like kind of did some stuff. So you know what I've been doing? Every Thursday, I quit something. I mean, you, <laughs> isn't that great? You can quit cussing if you want. But like, I go a little higher up on the tree and say, what is it? And quit good stuff. Like, quit. I gave notice on my office. I love my office. And the landlord's like, why do why you quit? I'm like, it's Thursday. Like, duh. Like, I quit stuff on Thursday. And I moved. I did. I moved last week. <laughs> Ladies, if you're in a relationship with a guy, if you're married and it's tough, keep leaning into it. If you're in a relationship and just dating somebody, break up with a guy. 
<laughs> do it on a Thursday when he says, like, how come? You say, Lord, I quit stuff on Thursday. <laughs> I just quit you. Like, and it sucks all the drama out of the room. There's something about that. But don't you agree, if we had a little margin, we just know that Jesus would suck great stuff into it. That's the way it's been for me all the time. I have a law firm. How, do, how thick do you think that agreement is for lawyers to agree what's fair? Like, assuming they could agree water's wet. Like, so it'd be like a forced phone books, right? And then they hate each other because it's not fair enough. So our U.S. Constitution is written on four pages. My law firm partnership agreement is written on two. That's <laughs> really simple. It says, it's my law firm and it's all over December 31st. Isn't that great? So you know that feeling like a man's keeping you down? You're not quite sure who the man is, but you're positive he's keeping you down. So we just blow up the man every year. I'm like every father-in-law's worst nightmare. I'm out of work every year, 25 times in a row. Like we just blow it up. And you know the cool part with Sweet Maria's permission? I get to propose to every like lawyer and paperclip guy and secretary and paralegal and say, will you practice law with me for one more year? Isn't that fun? And I'm emotionally incontinent. We're like crying, which is really a liability if you're a lawyer. But like, we're not crying. I'm like, I love you. So something about making some margin. But it isn't just margin. The thing that seems like it gets in the way all the time from us, and I think Jesus knew it too, God from the beginning of time knew it would, is that we get afraid. And so what were the things that he told us? Remember, there's a verse. Can you throw it up on the screen? Some guys out on the sea paddling around, scared to death. And Jesus immediately said to him as he walked across the water, Take courage, it is I. Get this, be not afraid. How about another verse? In Jeremiah, they ta God taps him. He says, Jeremiah, you're the guy. And Jeremiah says, I'm not the guy. And he says, be not afraid. I'm with you. I'll rescue you, declares the Lord. How about another one? When Genesis, like they finished this big battle, and like he was saying, be not afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. And how about to Joshua? Joshua, he says like, God says, you're taking over for Moses. And he says, I can't take over for Moses. He said, be not afraid. Don't be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You get the theme? People, he's saying, be not afraid. Because if we walk around not afraid, good stuff happens. Wouldn't you agree? I sold a house to a gal. It was probably 15 years ago. And we moved across the street. Maria was thinking I was just too cheap to get a mover. And so, but we moved across the street. But like 15 years ago, they had this thing that people like actually bought houses. How cool is that? So we had like five people who wanted to buy this house. And so we weren't interviewing for a buyer. We were interviewing for a neighbor. And so this little lady came. She was a widow. Her name's Carol. And She's probably 60, and um, so she moves across the street. And so we talk on the phone all the time. And I'd call up and say, hey, Carol, how you doing? And uh, this past year when I called her, she said, actually, I got back from the doctor and got some bad news because I have cancer. And I said, Carol, I am never calling you on the phone again. And she's like, what? So I went down to Radio Shack, and I got us two walkie-talkies. And we set up one in her bedroom, and we set up one in my bedroom. And this past year, we've just been talking on the walkie-talkies. The first time I called her, I said, hello, Carol. <laughs> she said, like, you have to make the sound. Like, hello, Carol. 
And she said, Bob, is that you? I said, like, who else would it be? <laughs> so we were 14 years old when we were on the walkie-talkies, right? And we were up in tree forts. Nobody was sitting alone in their house. That's the way God, like, love isn't efficient. We try to be, like, so efficient and so, like, but, like, I, I, I put my name and phone number in the back of 100,000 books, and I don't let anybody go to voicemail. Is that inefficient? Totally. I don't need to have a Bible study. Every time it rings, I'm reminded like how Jesus just got more and more and more available as time went by. So I'm thinking, I don't need to fast. Well, actually, I do need to fast. But I don't need to have a hunger pain to remind me about God. I just get a phone. What if we just started treating people in that way? You don't feel guilty if they go to voicemail, but you think to yourself, nobody goes to voicemail. We're not going to be efficient with our love. We are going to be extravagant. We are going to make people feel like we are made out of that stuff. And in small and big ways, we start thinking, well, this year, right before the summer, I got a call from Carol in the morning on the walkie-talkie. She said, hello, Bob. <laughs> I said, Carol, is that you? <laughs> and she said, Bob, I just got back from the doctor. Guess what? I don't have cancer anymore. Isn't that great? And you know what? The walkie-talkies didn't fix her. She just wasn't afraid. And when we're not afraid, when we start living into these promises that Scripture gives us over and over again, cool stuff happens. You know one of the cool things? We start figuring out more about the murky stuff, about who God made us to be, who he made Jesus to be, and how we might impact the whole world because of it. So those of you that know me know I'm the, get this, I'm the consul general for Uganda to the United States. Is that crazy? I know I don't look Ugandan. I get that all the time. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm a little fair-skinned. But like, but I'm the consul for Uganda. You know the coolest part about being consul for Uganda? Well, first of all, you get some awesome license plates. It could park anywhere. I could park in your garage. But the best part about this whole thing, I kid you not, I get diplomatic immunity. I could kill you. I could. That's the deal. And like, how did it come to pass? If you come to my house, the flag of Uganda flies over the house. And why? It's the consulate. Isn't that nuts? And so, like, if you guys really screw up, you can come over to my house and seek asylum. I kid you not, it's Ugandan turf. Like, somebody stole my car, the secret police came. I'm like, steal something, police. It's so cool, they talk into their sleeves. Like, so, you guys, we are flying under a flag. So people will be over the house and they'll say, hey, did you see the flag over the house? And they're like, yeah, like, what's up with a peacock? <laughs> I'm like, this is the Ugandan consulate. We are not in America anymore. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> you guys, be consul for anybody. Like, Liechtenstein is just smaller than this room. Like, be consul for them. Do you know what? Because I'm the consul, you know what that makes you? You're my envoys. Isn't that great? So if you want to go anywhere, I've got awesome, like, letterhead. It's got shields and spears and stuff. We'll send it to anybody until they fire me. Here's the deal. God wants to do inexplicable things through really ordinary people so we wouldn't boast about it. 1 Corinthians 125. People. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many, not many, not many, right? But he used the foolish things, the things that are low, the things that are not, to displace the things that are, and here's the punchline, so that no one would boast. 
But if we boast, we boast about the Lord. But we're the people that are out there. We're dying to see this thing take shape and start see how it keeps getting darker and darker. We want to know who Jesus is. We want to know who we're supposed to be. And we do that by showing up and saying yes to a whole bunch of stuff. So about um, eight years ago, uh, I decided I'm going to Uganda because they were, if you guys have tracked what's happened, there's this huge civil war and, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people displaced, a million seven in the north alone, 70,000 kids abducted and made child soldiers. And so there wasn't any plan, no, like, I just bought a ticket, like, you know, it's called Delta. (laughs) I bought a ticket and I landed in Entebbe and I thought, well, I want to go find a judge. And so I took a cab to the courthouse and I just found the guy that had the most machine guns out in front of his office. I'm like, that's the guy with the juice. So I like walk between these guys and they're like, all give me kind of the hairy eyeball, like, who are you? I'm like, safety. (laughs) And then I go to the secretary and I say, hi, I'm Bob Goff and um, I've just come 18,000 miles. Can I meet with the judge? I don't know who it was. And uh, she said, well, do you have an appointment? I said, well, not really, but I'd really like to meet with the judge. And inexplicably, I get invited in. So I'm meeting with this judge, and we're talking about kids and justice and all that. And at the end of the meeting, like, I'm a hugger, and I'm like, I gave him a big hug, and we're like nose to nose. And I said, this is awesome. And I think he's thinking, this is why I have guys with machine guns. And so we became friends over a long period of time, and we started thinking about capers. How could we move the needle in people's lives and in, and in justice issues? We talked about these kids that are stuck in jails. And uh, I started going from jail to jail. If I don't want like your son hanging out with my daughter, I just accuse him of defilement. And that day he goes to prison. Do you have a picture of one of these prisons? This is a prison up on the border of Congo. So that kid goes in there and three years later uh, with a cell, one cell room, a bucket in the back and a door that lets him out for a, an hour a day, Uh, three years later, they're still sitting in there. So I thought, what's the next step? Like, what is it that brings this stuff into focus? So I bought the entire Uganda Law Library, both books. And we we just started briefing cases like we were invited. Like nobody had invited us, but we just did. And then we started trying cases. And when we tried the first 100 cases, we dropped the first 98 kids off at home with all the charges resolved. So we tried another 100 cases and we dropped them off too. Isn't that nuts? And you don't have to be a lawyer. You just come with me. Like, right? We just do stuff. And again, not because we're trying to curry Jesus's favor. We're just trying to figure out who he is and who we're supposed to be. And And in the process of doing this, I find out a whole bunch about myself. One of the things that I found out is that uh, there's a horrible practice in Uganda and some East African countries of child sacrifice. And the bad guys are the witch doctors. And nobody will try a case. Nobody's ever tried a case against a witch doctor in Uganda. Uh, In part because, number one, the judges are all scared of them because they think they'll turn you into a toad or something. And then this number two, there's victims, but they're always dead. They take these little six, seven, eight-year-old kids and they believe that the head or the blood or the private parts of a little guy or have these magical powers, and so they'll off these kids never to be found. Well, this year, I get a call, and there's a little boy. We'll just say his name is Charlie, and Charlie's walking along a path by the border of Congo, and a guy named Kabi, the biggest 
scariest witch doctor in the region abducts him. He takes him into the bush and cuts off these private parts and leaves him to die. But guess what? Charlie didn't die. He passed out and he came to later. I don't know how, because he lost most of his blood, but he, he came. As a matter of fact, I asked him later when I met him for the first time, he said, what were you thinking? You're lying in a cassava field. And uh, he said, I came to and I thought, I love God and I'm not dying today. That courageous little kid. And so I got a hold of the guy that I had been giving the hug to. That was the chief justice of Uganda Supreme Court, turns out. <laughs> go figure. Evidence of Jesus? And I asked him, hey, could I go try that case? And he said, if you could find a judge, but you'll never find one. And, uh, but Jesus had something different in mind. We found a judge. And we took, do you have a picture of Kabi here? This Kabi is the most evil man I've ever met in my life. And everybody's scared of him. Uh, because he's got, uh, he's done a lot of bad things. And uh, this is the first time that he got caught. And so when the judge said he would take that case to trial, immediately all the witch doctors descend on his house and do some pretty creepy stuff. That judge got three men with machine guns surrounding his house. This is a year later, they're still there. Because when we mess with bad guys, when we disrupt commerce, it's going to make ripples. But you guys, that's what we're about, right? We're supposed to be the ones that are doing stuff. And so because a little four-foot-tall kid stood up and said, that's the guy who tried to kill me, and Cobby was convicted. Do you have that news clipping? Cobby goes to jail, the Lazero Maximum Security Jail, never to be seen again. And that's what God does. But he does it through, he always uses the unlikely people, brave little kids. Let me introduce you to Charlie. This is Charlie. Are you kidding me? Like, when, I don't know what it's going to be like when we get to heaven, but I hope Jesus just touches me on the nose. And he says, like, that's my Bob, right? Like, that's my Jim. I think he's going to touch us on the nose and say, you weren't afraid. I know that's what he's going to tell uh, Charlie when he meets him. Well, so get this. There's a doctor, and he's trying to learn how to fly a beaver float plane. You know those big planes that land and take off on the water? And the woman teaching him how to play, uh, fly this plane is telling him about what happened to Charlie. And so uh, he lands the plane, and he calls me up, and he says, Hey, Bob, my name is uh, Randy, and I heard all about what happened to this little boy, and I can fix him. And I said, Buddy, you didn't hear what happened to him because you, like, you can't fix that stuff. And he said, I'm the chief of surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Center. I can fix them. And I said, what? Oh, my gosh. So I went up to meet him, and he got on a piece of paper. He started drawing out and graphing, like, what he's going to do. Some legs, some arms, like, way too much information. And I asked him, how much would that cost? And he said, it'd be staggering, but I'll do it for nothing. And I'll get somebody amending kids. They'll pick up the balance. Folks, 180 days ago, Mending Kids wrote a $50,000 check, and I flew over to pick up Charlie in Uganda. Is that evidence of Jesus? 
You bet it is, because he wants to blow our minds about what's imp- like what is possible. But get this, I'm checking my emails in London, and Charlie just said, like, he's never even seen a plane before. He said, could we just walk the rest of the way? <laughs> Isn't that cute? I'm like, sorry, buddy, we got another little bit to go. And in the email box, there's an email, and it just says White House. And the message was really short. It just said, we'd like to meet Charlie. And do you guys have a buddy that always plays pranks on you? So I'm thinking like, Doug, right? So I make a couple of calls, you guys, it's legit. So we fly to Washington, D.C., me and the four-footer, and the <laughs> this kid that was standing in the bush in Congo two days before is now standing in the Oval Office. Is that evidence of Jesus? You bet it is. Does that clarify how much he wants to blow our mind and how nuts he is about kids? It, it's, it's who he is. It's how he rolls. And the next day we went to Disneyland because any kid who's going to get that operation needs to go to the happiest place on earth, <laughs> right? The day before. And so we showed up at Cedar sinai the next morning and I gave a Charlie a little kiss on the forehead and I said this to him, be not afraid. And I think all of heaven is whispering over our ears the same thing. Be not afraid. And you know what Randy Sherman did? He hooked him up. Is that nuts? It's nuts. But let me ask you this. What about Kabi? Because the way my world works is there's great little guys like Charlie, and then there's guys like Kabi who are evil and horrible and have done these things. And when I went to court in Kampala to become Charlie's legal guardian, I called up the warden at Lazira, and Lazira Maximum Security Prison is the scariest place on earth. It was built in 1920. There are no windows. There's one metal door that's probably four feet tall to get in. Everybody who's in there dies there. And it was built for 300 death row guys. There are 3,000 men in that dark place. And when I went under the door, I met Cobb. I didn't know how that would go, and he took a knee And he started saying how bad he felt about what he'd done to Charlie. And I was thinking, like, well, you just feel bad you got caught because now you're going to die in this place. And he said, like, I know I'll die here. Started talking about witchcraft and where it had taken him in his life. And then his words, not mine, he said, you know what I really need? I need forgiveness. And I felt like I'm talking to a criminal hanging on a cross next to Jesus. The one that Jesus turns to and says, you get paradise. You know what? I didn't want Kabi to go because he hurt my friend, right? But aren't you glad that God's grace, his forgiveness is so much bigger. It's not limited by what we can get our minds around. And get this, Kabi comes to Christ. I don't get it. That one is still foggy to me. Like the picture is still not entirely in view. But I get that this God that we're trying to talk about, that we're saying is available to anyone, anytime, is available to Kabi, a guy that tried to kill a little kid. And get this, I'm going to go over next month. I asked the warden, could Kabi speak to all 3,000 men on death road and tell them what he's found out about this man, Jesus? And the warden inexplicably said yes. And Kabi's going to talk to everybody. 
evidence of Jesus? You bet it is. And that's what God is drawing us into. He's saying, you know, whatever it is that is freaking you out and has you wrapped around the axle, be not afraid of that. And I look at little kids like Charlie, and I'm not afraid anymore. Are you? I'm not. Because I know what he, he stared down the biggest, baddest witch doctor in the region. So we had this, uh, Marie's a little freaked out about me doing this. Like, <laughs> she, is, she thinks there's a little doll that looks like me, and they're putting pins in it. And I think they made the doll, they're just rolling them in sugar cookies. I'm like, you guys, you're killing me. Cut it out. So... <laughs> if you know me, we have a New Year's Day parade every year. We blow up thousands of balloons. Like our block is only eight houses long. But like when people wake up on New Year's Day, and the rule at the parade is everybody has to be in it. Nobody can watch. <laughs> so by the time everybody's in it, we've filled up like seven of the eight houses, and we walk like one house is an amp hot dogs. So <laughs> after the parade was over, we needed a grand marshal for the parade. Well, who's going to be our grand marshal this year? Charlie, you kidding me? This little four-footer. So when it was all done, I had this idea. I was wondering how many balloons it would take to float a Ugandan dude. So we tied 100 balloons to him. Nothing. We tied 500 balloons. We started tying balloons to balloons. We had 800 helium balloons tied to him. Nothing. Do you want to know what happens when you tie 1,000 helium balloons to a four-foot Ugandan kid? That! I love it. <laughs> That's what happens. We have liftoff. <laughs> and I think God, all of heaven's leaning over the railing saying, your worship rocked. Now let's go do stuff. Let's lift off. Right? So God takes us as we are, as we're becoming, as it starts clarifying itself, and he takes us with as much as we know about ourselves, and then he just launches us out. And he says, go be awesome. Like, go take whatever it is that's you, and let's go do those things. And then you'll boast about me. And you know what else will happen? You won't be afraid. It's a really poignant uh, moment when a judge takes out the pen and is just sentenced someone to life or death in jail. And when he's finished, he takes the pen, he signs the order, and he breaks it. And he says, what's been done will never be undone. And he casts it aside. Man, it is like an intense moment. And I think God did the same thing for us. He sent his son. He broke him for us. And he said on a cross, what's been done will never, ever ever be undone. And I've got a message for you, people. Be not afraid. Are you afraid of, like, that you're going to lose your job? Some of you are more afraid you're going to keep it. Like, what, what if we say we're going to not be afraid of that stuff anymore? If you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing, you know what that is. Don't have a Bible study about it. Stop it. Just stop, like right now. Or Thursday, but now's better, right? But, but what if we say this? We're not going to be afraid of this stuff because we fly under a different flag. We're under the banner of Christ. We're kids of a king. Are you kidding me? The rules don't apply. Some do. A lot don't. And the rule that says you've got to be afraid of life doesn't apply to you anymore because Christ was broken for you. Let's pray. Jesus, 
You've been eavesdropping on everything we've ever discussed from the beginning of time. You've been eavesdropping this morning. You're eavesdropping on the rest of our life, and we invite you to. I know your message to us uh, from heaven today is to be not afraid. We thank you. We love you. We are committed to following you. We are not afraid. We stand together.